Uh, so we're looking at one portion of scripture, Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. Uh, we're looking at God and his discipline towards his children. So looking back at the last couple of sermon series that we've gone through, when I first arrived here, we started looking through the Psalms. And we dealt a lot with the laments in the Psalms. Those different Psalms where, where David or the psalmist, they cry out to God on behalf or because of the problems in their lives. The death, the destruction, whatever, whatever's going on, they cry out to God. And we spent some time emphasizing as we went through that sermon series that it's okay to lament. Right? A lot of our Christian praise songs just focus on the positive. They don't focus on the negative. But if we look at God's songbook in the book of Psalms, we see a number of psalms that just deal with lament, that are just cries to God for deliverance from pain or suffering or from enemies. In the last sermon series, through the month of December, we looked at, we looked at God's advents through human history. We looked at all the ways in which God has come. And we saw how Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the world, we saw how Jesus Christ came to this world to sort of lay a, a foothold or a stronghold in this world to lay the groundwork for the elimination of sin and death completely. And we looked at how God will one day come back to fix everything. How one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes. One day everything sad will come untrue. But one thing we haven't looked at is what it looks like for us in the middle of that pain. Why do we go through these things? Why do we experience what seems to be God's wrath on our lives? We're about to read Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews, we don't exactly know who that is. There's a lot of theories. But the author of Hebrews talks about this. He's writing to a community of believers. Again, we don't know exactly the situation. But they appear to have been going through some kind of persecution. And the author of Hebrews addresses that right at the beginning of our passage today. We're going to read Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. Hear these words. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, and he goes on to quote Proverbs, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us as a father loves his children. Lord, as we, as we read your word this morning, as we explore what it means to be disciplined by you, Lord, comfort our hearts, encourage us by the preaching of your word this morning. Be with me as I proclaim your words. Lord, may we be reminded, may I be reminded, Lord, that it's not any, any special thing that I am doing by proclaiming your words. Lord, we know that you've used a donkey to declare your words. Lord, the special thing here is the word of God. It's the scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through this ancient book. Use this time to encourage our hearts as we examine your words to us this morning, Father. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So I grew up in a, in a very conservative church. Uh, it was a self-described independent fundamentalist Baptist church, Bible-believing. Uh, they were very King James only. You were only allowed to use one translation of the Bible. Women weren't allowed to wear pants. It was very conservative, uh, very, very interesting. And my entire story is, it's a story. And maybe, maybe we'll tell the entire thing sometime, uh, but not, not this morning. So growing up, they wouldn't have said it this way, but they believed practically that God's grace was enough for our salvation but it wasn't enough for our ongoing walk. To put that another way, they believe that anyone who wanted to pray a prayer and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior could be saved. But anything after that was really up to us. We were responsible for pleasing God once we were saved. It's a good thing that you were saved, right? As long as you had prayed the prayer. But the rest of it, that was something that was up to you. You had to make yourself holy. That wasn't, that wasn't God's grace working in and through your life. That was you. It was up to you to please God. I heard my pastor say on a number of occasions that if something bad happens in your life, perhaps it's because of unconfessed sin. If you step out of line at all, if you do anything wrong at all, then God reaches out zaps you on the hand, says, no, you shouldn't have done that. I'm going to punish you for that sin. And so if you stub your toe in the morning, maybe it's because you told a lie last week that you didn't ask for forgiveness for. If your dog dies, maybe it's because you're a little more proud than you thought. That sort of thing. That's what I was taught growing up. That was, that was the idea. That you have, to, you have to stay on this straight and narrow path. You have to keep doing all of these external things most of which aren't in the Bible. But you have to keep doing all of these things. And if you somehow step out of line, even if you don't know that you've stepped out of line, God's going to zap you. God's going to reach out and punish you. God was a God who was just waiting for us to step out of line. And that really fit with kind of the fundamentalist view that I had growing up that was really focused on externals. I went to the Christian school associated with our fundamentalist Baptist church. And their rule structure was very much the same. We had a dress code. You had to wear a collared shirt. You had to wear a belt. Your shirt had to be tucked in. And if you forgot your belt, or if your shirt got a little bit untucked, or your shoes were somehow, you know, they had rubber soles instead of whatever soles you were supposed to have. I know that's not right, but you know what I mean. If, if somehow you slipped out of line, there wasn't any grace to welcome you back in. It was just 
boom, slapped on the hand with a demerit. That was my view of God for a while. When I heard the words, God disciplines his children, I thought of an angry God who punished the people who didn't quite do good enough and who, you know, those people who actually managed to please God, actually managed to stay in line, somehow managed to avoid those things. It wasn't until I got to college, and I went to a fundamentalist college as well, but one that was much healthier than the ways I grew up in a lot of ways. But when I went to college, I learned about the doctrine of justification. Now, for those of you who don't know what justification is, it's the idea that God takes, or excuse me, Jesus takes our sin and credits it to his account. So he suffered on the cross for our sin. He took all of the punishment for our sin. And he gives us all of his righteousness. So all of the good things that Jesus did throughout his entire life, healing people, loving his neighbor as himself, all of those things transfer to us. And so when God looks at us legally, He sees, even though we are sinful people, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees all the good things that Jesus Christ has done. And this doctrine to me, once I went to college, it was revolutionary because I hadn't heard those things. I knew that, yes, Jesus would forgive me of my sins if I asked for forgiveness. But I I didn't have this idea that I was continually accepted and embraced by God because of Jesus Christ. I thought that I had to keep working for that and keep doing things in order for God to be pleased with me. But the reality is that God just is pleased with me, not because of what I have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I actually kind of, I swung the other way. I went from thinking that God was an angry God who would slap the hand of any of his children who stepped out of line, to kind of going into an unhealthy way the other way, into thinking that it doesn't really matter what I do, Because everything that I've done is forgiven in Christ. As long as I love God, I can kind of do whatever I want to externally. Because Jesus Christ has already taken all the punishment for my sins. And I slipped into that a little bit. I went from one side of the pendulum to the other. God doesn't discipline his children at all. Because Jesus took the punishment for our sins. At least that would make sense, right? So why would God punish his children for the sins that they do, if Jesus Christ has already taken the punishment. And this this idea really messed with me. And I really had to spend some time diving in and studying what exactly Scripture says about discipline. What does it mean that God disciplines his children? I think part of the problem for me, a large part of the problem for me, is just that word discipline. For me, growing up in that fundamentalist environment, growing up in an environment that kind of lent itself towards authoritarianism, that viewed an authority as as high, kind of untouchable, being in that culture, maybe you're from a similar culture, maybe you're not, but being in that culture, I thought of discipline as something that was devoid of love. It was something that was often done out of anger certainly done out of responsibility. This is just the way things need to be done. But the biblical idea of discipline isn't that. The biblical idea of discipline much more carries the idea of instruction. It carries the idea of guidance. The image that I have in my mind that really helps me picture what discipline is, is that of braces. 
I've never had braces, so I, I, don't, I don't know this experience. But I, I, know, I know the science behind them, right? So if your teeth are all pointing everywhere and you know, they're causing problems in, in how you're chewing and they just kind of look weird. But if, if that's the case, you can get braces where, where they'll you know, glue things under your teeth and adjust them. And for months or years, they will exert slow pressure on your teeth to try to pull them into place. Slow, constant, strong pressure I've never had braces again, but I understand that they can be very painful, especially at first, as they move the teeth slowly inside your mouth. So there's this uncomfortable experience, but it's ultimately a beneficial experience. God's discipline is kind of like that. God uses things in our lives. He uses different opportunities to kind of pull our teeth back into place. God disciplines, not necessarily as punishment, because it is true that Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sins on the cross. But it's also true that we are not perfect people yet. We are in a process called sanctification. God is making us holy, and one day that process will be complete when we stand before God in eternity. But for every single one of us, that process isn't complete yet. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're somewhere in the middle. You're not the sinner you used to be. At least I hope not. If you're a true Christian, I'm sure you've made some progress. But you're also not the Christian that you want to be. You're somewhere in the middle. You're somewhere in the middle of this process of God taking you and molding you. As braces take and shape and mold teeth, God is molding all of us into his image. And that discipline is often painful much like braces are, but ultimately it's for our benefit. I just have a few notes about what this discipline looks like, and then we'll be done. I want to start, though, with the substance of this discipline. So in verse number four, the author of Hebrews talks about the substance of their discipline that the Hebrews are experiencing. He says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, again, we don't have background to this. The book of Hebrews doesn't come with an introduction that talks about, you know, what the group of people, the community that it was written to, what they're going through at the time, at the moment. Your Bible might have notes added, but ultimately we're just learning that from the letter itself. So we don't know exactly what this group of people are going through, but it appears that they're going through some kind of persecution. But that persecution hasn't quite reached its peak yet. They haven't yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, but that point looks like it's close. Perhaps there have been credible threats from the people around them for following Jesus Christ. Perhaps some have been beaten up. Perhaps there's been property destroyed of these Christians. And no one's actually given their life. No one has actually been martyred yet, but it looks close. So the author of Hebrews writes to these people and he says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It hasn't quite happened yet. But then he goes on in this passage and he talks about how that persecution is actually God disciplining them. Think about that for a second. I don't know about you, but there's something in that, in that, um, there's something in there that really, it doesn't sit well with me. It seems like those two things are a contradiction. How does God use the persecution of his people? 
Is, is the author of Hebrews here telling us that God is somehow the author of sin? Is God the one persecuting his people for following him? That seems, that seems really messed up, doesn't it? A much better way of looking at this, though, instead of, instead of God being the one who is authoring sin, God being the one who is directly persecuting his people, a better way of looking at this is that we live in a fallen, broken world. And we've talked about this a lot, especially through the Advent series, right? We talked about Adam and Eve's fall and how they brought sin into the world. And now the world just doesn't work like it's supposed to. People sin. People do wrong things. We experience death. We experience persecution. And when the author of Hebrews says that, hey, you're experiencing persecution and that's God disciplining you, he doesn't mean, hey, God is persecuting you. He means that God is using this persecution that you're experiencing to mold you. This persecution isn't punishment for something that you're doing wrong. In fact, it's actually a reward for doing right, for following Jesus Christ. But God is using this sin perpetrated by non-believers. God is using it to shape and to mold these, Christian, these Christians' life. And that's the same for us. When we experience trouble, when your car won't start in the morning, when, when you're having marriage issues or trouble at work, whenever you experience anything like this, that doesn't mean that God's necessarily slapping your hand for stepping out of line. The idea is not that, you know, if we, if we never sin, then we're never going to have any problems because all sin is a punishment. No, God uses these things, these results of the fall, these marks of sin and death, God uses them to mold our lives. This discipline is also the proof of God's love. Think of the story of Jonah, right? It's a familiar children's story. I'm sure most of you have heard of it. But Jonah was a prophet. He was sent to the land of Nineveh. Most prophets in the Old Testament were sent to God's people, but he was sent to a foreign people who were actually the enemies of God's chosen people. He was sent to the east, go to Nineveh, go tell them to repent and follow God. But Jonah didn't want to do it. He was the reluctant prophet. Actually, he was a little bit more than reluctant because he ran away. And if you remember the story of Jonah, he hops on a ship, and what happens when he's on the ship? A great storm comes, right? A giant storm, so that all of these sailors who are used to storms, all of these sailors are freaking out. They start throwing everything overboard. They start wondering who has made their God angry. And so Jonah steps forward. He says, guys, it, it's me. I'm the one who's not doing what I'm supposed to do. Just throw me overboard and it'll be fine. So they're like, okay, and they toss him overboard, and the storm stops. Jonah doesn't die. He doesn't drown. He's instead swallowed by a great fish. And he's in the belly of this fish for three days before the fish spits him up on land. And I think sometimes when we think through the story, we think that God is punishing Jonah. He sends him, he sends him a storm. He sends him a great fish. But I think more than that, God is just sending Jonah things that will get him back on track. He sent a storm to Jonah because that's what was going to get him thrown overboard. He sent a great fish to swallow Jonah, and I'm sure it was uncomfortable, but it carried him back to the land because he wouldn't have been able to swim by himself. Jonah tried to run away, but God corrected him. to said, Jonah, no, 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 you're not going that way. You're going this way. It was an act of love. God wanted Jonah to be in his will. So God sent 
when there's trouble in our lives, it's an act of God's love. Or, on the other hand, sometimes it's merely an act of God's glory. I think of the story in John chapter 9. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm sure I'll preach on it at some point. Uh, But it's the man born blind in John chapter 9. And there's this whole thing where this this man gets healed by Jesus and then he gets kicked out of the temple for it. And it's a crazy story. Um, Read it sometime, maybe this afternoon. But there's there's a line in there. And it always sticks out to me. The people ask Jesus, they say, which man sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? What a loaded question that is, right? Who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? Because it has to be one of those two, right? It can't just be for some other reason. It has to be because of his sin. Maybe his parents sinned. Maybe his parents were murderers, so they were punished by their son being born blind. Maybe this guy was going to be a rapist or something, so he's punished by being born blind. But Jesus corrects him. He says, no, 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 no. It's not because he's a sinner. He's born blind in order for the works of God to be magnified in him. But all of these trials, all of this discipline that God sends on our lives, it's intended to lead us into holiness. So question, as we experience trials, as we experience this discipline, what do we push into? Do we lean on family and friends when we go through trials? That's the default answer for many people. But the truth is that family and friends are going to fail us. Ultimately, they are humans. Ultimately, first and foremost, people just care about themselves. And so family and friends can be supportive, absolutely, but never completely supportive. Do we turn into substances, alcohol, drugs, pornography, things that may give us a little bit of a high for a moment, but that ultimately, after a long period of time, lose their potency? They stop working like they had previously. You get used to them. And so so the high that would overcome negative feelings kind of drifts away, and we're still left with the core problem. Do we look into distractions? Instead Instead of facing our problems, do we distract ourselves with the internet or with TV? Because ultimately, those distractions lose their luster. They get boring. They get old. When we're faced with trials, when we are faced with discipline, what do we push into? Only God is the one who will always sustain us. God will never lose his luster. God will never get old. He alone can fully and completely satisfy us. He alone can bring us joy through our problems. So a lot of the time, as God gives us discipline, as God gives us these things that are designed to mold us into better Christians. As God puts on braces, braces on our teeth, that are designed to, over the long term, fix and correct and mold us. Sometimes it's just happening in order for us to push into God. That's why God allows things to go on for so long. I had a friend in seminary who was dealing with uh, some chronic health issues, some chronic pain. And I remember talking with this friend, and they, they, they had, had this pain, they've had this pain for years, right? And I talked to this friend, and they told me, they said, I don't know if God can teach me anything else through this. I don't know if there's anything else for me left to learn. I think that God might just be 
doing this maliciously, just sticking the knife into my back and twisting it just because he wants to see me suffer. And this, this is a, a raw moment, a candid moment. They thought that they were done. They thought that they had learned everything there was to learn. And I, I followed up with them a couple years later, and I asked them about it. And they said, you know what? God wasn't done teaching me things. God was still using this experience, as terrible as it is, as long as it is, as seemingly never-ending as it is, God was still using this experience to draw this friend closer to him. And I don't know, maybe God will use this experience for the rest of this person's life. Maybe he'll heal them once they have learned everything that they can. I don't know. But God uses these experiences, even when it's difficult in the moment, God uses these experiences to draw people close to him. When we're in the middle of these trials, sometimes it's difficult to see the benefit for it. No discipline, in verse number 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. That's why it's not helpful for anyone to say to someone going through a hard time, well, this is just for God's glory. Because it's true, and we know it's true, but we don't feel like it's true. At the moment, it's just painful. At the moment, it's just hard to get through. And it's really hard to zoom out and see the bigger picture. I used to work for the Dow Chemical Company up in Midland. I mentioned that before. And I didn't do any of the cool jobs. I was just a packager. I got paid a little bit over minimum wage. Um, but that was, that was my job for three and a half years. I worked at Dow. And at Dow, they have a thing called an LOPC, or a loss of primary container. The idea is there's a chemical, whatever it is, it's supposed to go in a container. And if it's not in that container, for whatever reason, it's an LOPC. There's a spill, there's a leak, a chemical gets on the ground, it gets in the air, it gets where it's not supposed to be. It's a bad thing, frequently. It's an LOPC. One of the things we really avoided was an LOPC. We had giant countdown clocks, you know, that so many days since the last LOPC. That was one of our primary metrics that we measured. How many days have we gone since a spill? There was one time where there was a slow leak in one of our hoses. So there was a container that was you know, being drained by this hose. There was a slow leak, and so that container was slowly spilling its contents into the air. And the, the indicators were picking it up. If you looked at, if you looked at the graph, you know, it could see it. It was slowly going down the level in the tank. But the problem was that most of the engineers and the operators, they looked at a timeline. They looked at like a little graph of the level of this container. But they only looked at the last few hours or the last day or so. And if you looked at just the last few hours, you didn't really see a drop at all. I mean, maybe if you looked really closely, you would see a slight drop. But you really, it was barely noticeable. It was an incredibly slow leak. But if you zoomed out, if instead of looking at a few hours or a couple days, if you looked at six months, you saw that this container had been losing chemicals for months. There was a slow but steady decline. You could see it very, very clearly if you just zoomed out. Sometimes when we endure God's troubles and God's trials, it's like that. When we're zoomed up, when we're looking really, really closely 
at the things going on in our life, it can be really hard to see any kind of benefit at all. We ask ourselves, what's God doing here? Is God actually at work in and through this? Is anything actually happening? Am I actually being drawn closer to God? But when we zoom out, when we look at troubles that we went through 10 years ago, 20 years ago, when we look at how we've matured as Christians over the last decades of our life, we can see how that trend has gone upwards. Maybe not all at once, maybe slowly. Sure, there's been dips and bumps, but the overall trend line is up for all of God's people. Because anyone who is a child of God experiences discipline. Anyone who is a child of God has these braces go on their life that, yes, are painful. Yes, work slowly. Yes, maybe you want them off as soon as you get them on. But at the end, they produce beautiful fruit. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. Maybe that's not easy to see. But at the end of all things, when we stand glorified on the day of Jesus Christ in front of him, fully made perfect, with all of our sins wiped away, we will see how God's training, how God's discipline, how God's instruction has led us to be more mature believers, has led us to be people who love him more, led us to be people who trust him more, even though that process may be and certainly is painful. So as we experience this discipline, as we experience these trials, use it as an opportunity to push into God. Trust him through this. It may not be pleasant at this time. It may be painful. But God is at work and he will accomplish his glorious redemption of this entire world. And we will one day stand with every tear wiped away, fully complete in him, with all things made new. Will you pray with me?